listening to the Broadcast Basement On Demand Radio Network. It's the podcast in the Broadcast Basement. Broadcastbasement.com. Welcome to episode 38 of Cinemental. How can you talk if you haven't got a brain? I don't know. But some people without brains do an awful lot of talking. Then why don't you kiss me like everybody else does? How about new? The thing is, Bob, it's not that I'm lazy. It's that I just don't care. I came here like this so you'll know my word of death is true. And that my word of life is then true. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the movie podcast that we can only hope you enjoy listening to as much as we enjoy making. My name is Steve Obeke, and as always, I'm here with my co-host, Hassan Godwin, and Lathan Conger III. Our guest today, working in Chicago radio since 1990, earning an Emmy nomination in 1997, and podcasting for over 15 years. This man is a comic legend and has spoken with probably every single person who's been involved with comics in the last 15 years and probably further. He hosts the Word Balloon blog and podcast that is magnificent by any stretch of the imagination. And he has got magical pipes. John Suntries, welcome to Cinemental. Thanks, Steve. I really appreciate you having me on, man. We're longtime friends and now we're uh, podcasting colleagues. It's nice That's to meet right. you. And, and, or, well, nice to see you and, and nice to meet the guys. Yeah, I, uh, I was on your show uh four or five years ago when uh when the thing book uh was coming out which i uh, i greatly appreciated the uh oh, yeah. the exposure that was very nice of you so um let's uh we've got a couple of different things we're uh changing around on the show so we we used to do a segment here called news that gives us fits which is gonna be phased out now but we're going to go in a, a little bit different direction but we're still going to do a little odds and end bits from the news that you know we may or may find interesting. Did anyone happen to catch the IFC films trailer for the new Bowie biopic Stardust? No, no. Okay. Yeah, tell you, us about it. If you, if you get a chance to see it, check it out. It I'm, I'm a unabashed Bowie fan from, from all time. And the thing about David Bowie and I mean, and I'm kind of looking at Bohemian Rhapsody and rocket man as a comparison or as a, as, a, as a measuring gauge, as a sort of a modern rock biopic. And you look at this, you look at this, at this movie and listen, the guy may be a great David Bowie. I, you know, it's hard to tell from the trailer, obviously, but David Bowie was beautiful. He was a beautiful looking man. Yeah. And this guy is not. Who plays him? <laughs> I don't even, I don't, I didn't even catch the guy's name. It was some like, ugly guy. No, no, no. Linden or something. It's no, it's, Yes. His voice, the voice isn't bad when he, his speaking voice, it's, it's not too far off. It's often a little bit in tone, but I can forgive that. It's a whatever. Sure. But whenever I looked at him in the trailer, I was completely taken out of it far more than the other guys I've seen portray rock guys in the other two movies we're talking about. I just, I, when you get a chance to watch it, just, you know, take a look at it and see what you think. Who who played uh, and you, you, we might the guys you guys might not know, but I remember that uh, last documentary about Bowie that really took him to the end with uh, Black Star. 
And I know Black Star, his last album, was also a stage production. And I forget what well-known actor was playing oh, the, Bowie, the Bowie persona right. on stage. Oh, I have no idea. Yeah, I can't remember now, unfortunately. But I mean, mm. yeah, that's a that's a big mountain to climb. I think the expectation of a Bowie biopic should be high because he was such an amazing performance artist as well as musician. Yeah, and this clearly covers only a very small portion of his like early, early days coming into like Aladdin, what looks to be like Aladdin sane, maybe mm-hmm. as far as Ziggy Stardust, but maybe not. I'm not sure. It, it's, it's clearly verily the, like his first trip to America, his first sort of breaking in and, and dealing with radio stations and AOR and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, I just uh, looking at him is just weird. Wow. You know, you'll forgive me. I have an anecdote about Black Star, the last album. I was working at a, a classic rock station, 2015 or what? The year the the, the year that he passed, and um, Black Star had come out, and I'm like, "Why aren't we playing Black Star?" And the program director's like, "Well, we're a classic rock station, and you know," and, and I'm like, <laughs> "Yeah, Bowie is classic rock, and this is." I'm like, "You should play new stuff from classic rock artists," and they blew off the Bowie album, and they blew off. Uh, the the Santana album that had come out that year. And in both cases, I mean, certainly Bowie, yeah. my God, you know, to the end, breaking new ground and, and, and being experimental and exciting. But the Santana album was so true, too, to the classic sound of Santana. They got a lot of the original members back. And I'm like, look, I get it. But, you know, beyond just playing Bohemian Rhapsody mm-hmm. for literally the 20th time today, and, and, you know, Starman <laughs> and then Life on Mars and all the great boys. So I'm like, you don't want to play anything new and let people know, hey, look what he's still doing. And then, yeah. then like a month later, he passed away or a couple of weeks later. Yeah. That's yeah. a big difference between radio stations here in America and ones in England. Absolutely. They don't. They It's just the opposite. They play everything new and want you to find new stuff. And here they're too afraid that they'll lose their market. There's like, there's no format for them to lean on because they never had one to begin with. Well, and it's all focus groups. I mean, they, they just listen to, you know, we want to, you know, it's like, when we get back from listeners, we want to hear songs that we want to sing along with. And I'm like, yeah, I get that. But I mean, and actually the one rock, the other rock station that I worked at for the first nine years of my radio career in Chicago, WXRT, they were still playing new music, but yeah, for whatever reasons, uh, the drive, I'll even out both stations. It was the drive WTRV, uh, yeah, Latham. That yeah, it was just oh, yeah. like, yeah, we're not interested. And I'm like, okay. And and suddenly so, we're not interested yeah, in listening to you. <laughs> you know, you're not gonna <laughs> if you're not gonna play music. Yeah, if you're not gonna play music that 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 I want to hear, or that's gonna help me discover new music that would allow me to keep listening to your station because this is where I discovered all this new sound. Then you know, what's the point? I don't even know why you would want to do that. Well, in both stations. Both stations really pride themselves, and again, XRT still does it with yeah. new music. But uh, yeah, the drive really prides itself as being like a rock history uh, radio station. Yeah. And and I'm like, well, this this would absolutely your your listeners would love this. And, and no, they weren't convinced. And I'm like, okay, never mind. Don, do you remember uh, the station, The Blaze? Oh sure, one hundred three point five. One hundred three point five. Absolutely, hard rock, almost so, almost metal, almost metal. Almost right, and <laughs> that should have been their slogan. Almost metal. So predictable that when we were younger and would hang out during the summer, the big summer where they were big, 
me and my friends would each write our own bingo cards with songs on it. And the first one to get bingo based on what they'd play would win. And someone would always win by the end of the day because there was such a re repeated playlist. Yeah, a limited playlist. No, I understand, man. And when I was at the drive, they literally had cut their playlist by like another 200 songs. And I'm like, wrong wow. direction, not... boys and girls, but okay, whatever. Oh. You know? And here we are. They don't exist here, anymore, right? And here, well, the, it's all... Radio is homogenized. It's truly one of the reasons why I'm glad to be podcasting because everything that's exciting that's happening in audio is happening on podcasting. Absolutely. And, and so seriously, like I, I got downsized in April of this year because of COVID and the lack of advertising money. And it was, I was at the, the news station, the CBS news station, WBBM here, uh, traffic reporting of all things. And I, and really it wasn't anybody locals fault. I totally understand but really, radio is just homogenizing itself out of rel you know relativity in, in media, and it's like fine. You guys keep banging your heads on the same rat race maze. I'm over here in uh, in uh, podcast world doing the kind of radio show I always wanted to do, and getting a great response from from the audience and doing okay. So it's like uh, fine if that's if that's it. If I if thirty years is it for me in radio? Okay, I'm cool with it. Podcast killed the radio star. Indeed, as the Buckles once taught us back in 1979. Absolutely. <laughs> Podcast gave the radio star new life. <laughs> I'm living proof. I am living proof. Um, and then uh, another announcement uh, the other day. Uh, the Gorillas uh, announced an animated film coming on Netflix. Oh, great. I am fucking ecstatic about Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, especially, they're, I'm sure they're going to keep the animation style to Jamie Hewlett's designs and that's just going to be so much fun. You know, I can't wait for that. Have, um, have any of you seen them live? No, no. there's no, I've not, that's the best. I've seen them twice live in the past three years and both concerts were top three of the past 20 years. Would they wow. show, would they show animation like on a big screen while they're oh, playing? Oh yeah. And stuff like that? And yeah. More, than that. More yeah, than that. Yeah. Cause you don't see them during the concert. You see just the screen. Nope. With that's their... all done. You do see them now. Oh, they do you? Oh, okay. First tour. And now they just Damon just jumps all over the place and everyone's moving. It's 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 unreal. It's so much fun. That's awesome. awesome. I'd love Fantastic. to see that. And then uh, another another Netflix tra another Netflix trailer that came out this week: it, the Midnight Sky, yeah. the new George Clooney film. Uh, oh, what's the what's it about? It's a a post apocalyptic story uh, based on a book. I didn't catch the author's name. I apologize if she was listening. Uh, but basically, the story is is he's he's like in he's like an astronomer, or he's a guy up in this like Arctic outpost with his daughter, and there's some sort of cataclys cataclysmic world ending event, and basically the only other people are in the orbiting space station, and he's trying to figure out a way to get in contact with them. To let them know not to come home. Wow, that's so, almost why the last man kind of. Uh, yeah, so he has to he has to make this long trek because he discovers an antenna array that's like close enough that he can get to it, but still far enough that it's an adventure, and he has to get to it with his daughter uh, to that'll boost his signal enough so that the that the people in the space station will actually why, pick it up. Why can't wow, they come home? Because cool. it's the because of so because because. Because if they just come out and land like like a normal place where they would land, that then they would just attract whatever has been uh, killing be everybody eaten, huh? and they die. Okay. Don't want them to be eaten. Yes, I don't. I don't. 
they'll be they don't they don't explain in the trailer what the event is they just basically say that you know there's very few if any people you know i don't know that i don't even know that he knows that there's other people around besides him and his daughter but again looks very it's george clooney directing and and acting in it and you know i'll i'll watch anything he directs he's a he's a I extremely heard it, competent it's director. a semi-sequel oh, God, to yeah. gravity and his character fell to earth and now he's in this arctic station and this is wow. really? the man who fell to earth okay <laughs> I, I'm yeah, trying, yeah. guys. I, I, I'm trying so hard. It's terrible. It's terrible. You, you should try so much less. <laughs> I'm sure you guys have already talked about uh, the, the Netflix movie that I'm excited about. Oh, uh, yeah. Mank, the Herman Mankiewicz. Uh, we actually haven't, but we are all tremendous oh. Fincher fans, having uh, covered a couple of his films already on the show. Yeah, that's. I am. I'm dying. To, to see that and then the fact that it's you know it, listen i'm a huge nails fan so the resner ross connection did you did you go to the uh the white wine came up with the fish.com site no talk to me so so the so there's a website called the white wine came up with the fish and if you go to the website i told latham about this there's a there's 210 images that are uh, uh movie stills and behind the scenes shots and the whole thing, and you can just click through them. They're just, they're all there and you can just click through all the images one after another at your own pace. Mm-hmm. But while you're doing that, playing over the top of it is four clips from Reznor and Ross's new score for the film. Wow. Done in period, period instrumentation. They're, it's a not electronic score. And it, that's it's, great. And it's magnificent. It is. And I, I heard the sound. The sound for the movie is going to be in a mono track to emulate uh, the period yep. and everything. Yep. And you know, I, I'm I'm such a classic movie guy. Uh, it's funny because actually, uh, Rob Burnett and I were talking the other day, and he was kind of getting offended. His girlfriend was saying <laughs> movies from the '80s. She was like, "Well, that's an old movie." And he goes, "No, no, no, no. Old movies are from like the '30s and the '40s and the '50s." And I'm like. Rob, it's, it's, you know, coming on 40 years from 80s movies now, man. Yep. It's like my, my father, I, I was talking about uh, bands that I, that I saw in concert in the 80s that are still playing, and, liter- and I literally realized I was like my father. Uh, <laughs> I remember having conversations with him about, oh, man, when I saw Benny Goodman in the post-war years. And it's like, yeah, man, because it was 40 years when he was talking about it. Right, and I'm like, right. I've become my father. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's like that commercial, and it's like, who else reads books about <laughs> yeah. submarines? My dad. <laughs> yes, totally. He has blue hair. He has blue hair. And then, uh, and I, and he has blue we hair. We all see it. We, we all see it. Richard's great. We all see it. <laughs> yeah, man. I came to uh, I came to an interesting epiphany today. I was um, <laughs> apostrophe. <laughs> no, dude, I, I came to an interesting apostrophe today. Um, I was I was watching. Uh, I was I had a series, a Netflix series, on in the background of one of my and my upcoming segment pieces. But uh, I was watching the the episodes of Netflix's the movies that made us, sure. and I was I was watching the Home Alone episode and uh, the the bits of interview that they have with Chris Columbus on there are are awesome, and it 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 dawned on me after that episode was over that. You know, and and he has a. They talk about in that episode how he has such a great touch working with young actors and children in general. And I started thinking about what would have happened had the first Harry Potter film just completely tanked. Like it had just been such a complete disaster. What happens to that franchise? 
eventually. Eventually, eventually, you, know, like, you, like could, his, you couldn't, you couldn't, you couldn't just remake it and, and put it out three years you know, later. Turn it into a TV show. Yeah, yeah you know? I agree. But because exactly. it's, you know, what it's like what what happens to that franchise at that point if if he doesn't just stick the landing and then well, does that, it again on the second one? Not as well as the first, but 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 that I think is because of source material, not so much the actual film itself plus on the first film everything's new to the people who haven't I mean, read he, the he directed first two of them yes okay well yeah I, no i was gonna say with them no i think you're, you're right in terms of you know it's like when dc would make a bad superhero movie they're like oh well dc superhero movies are dead i'm like no they're not i'm like they're they're and especially in that case uh i think with potter maybe they'd yeah. have to wait five years maybe maybe but I, but I really think in the case of like you know superhero movies and stuff, I'm like uh, we're we're one to three years away, um, and one good movie. I'm not saying it'll erase the bad movies, right? But it will certainly, right. as as evidenced by the last couple of years, like Wonder Woman or even Joker, which I think uh, you know with the, the award accolades is one thing, but I think you know in in the fandom is a very polarizing movie. But you can't deny that it sticks in your head because I wasn't crazy about it coming out of the movie. And yet the movie sat with me for like another couple of weeks. And I'm like, well then this movie affected me more than I realized. Yeah. Right. And I, so. and the thing is, if you think about that group of eight films and what it did <laughs> the Potter movies, yeah, for all of the actors involved and, and even the established well-known classical actors who started off in roles and went through all the movies, you know, obviously not counting Richard Harris, but everyone else involved and all, you know, that these crowning achievements that they were able to put on their resumes and just be like part of this, this, this massive cinematic event. And just imagine that had never happened. Like all the, all the child actors, because they would have been aged out if they'd had to go back to revisit it. And the whole thing would have had to have been recast. hundred percent. Absolutely. Just, it's it's crazy to think about, and then and then of course you know Quaron comes in and just delivers the the best film of the series with the third one, and just there's there's as at that point even when they make the fourth one, which is is by far the least powerful of all the films, you know they they come back and you know just you know still makes an, an incredible film series. Why 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 are we all had it? What happened? Temperamental. I can't believe you said the third one was well, the best out of all of them. He's actually that right. Hurts. So, <laughs> he's, are you he, kidding me? There, there is there even a question? He, he's right. Okay, all right. What, what's I your like what do you enough. what do you what do you think's the best one? Let's continue. <laughs> no, no, no. What do you think's the best one? I'm curious. The best one out of the Harry Potter films. Yeah, I know. There's eight of them now. Yes. Right. Okay. So yeah, because they split the last one mm-hmm. into two. Yeah, this is gonna get me into trouble. Um. I, my favorite one's I the fourth like that one. one a lot too. Really, or the yeah. Phoenix is my favorite. Goblet of Fire. And I'm sorry, I actually missed. I actually missed. No, the, the fifth not, one. The fifth one. Excuse me. Uh, order, order of the, the Phoenix. Phoenix. Yeah, not not Goblet of Fire. Goblet of Fire. Order is the Phoenix. Fe- order. And I. And it was funny because I was literally just going to correct myself that that Order of the Phoenix is the one I actually thought was the was the was the weakest of the bunch. <laughs> I, I figured. I figured. And that's not the because one you were of, and not because of what you said. I felt that I thought that, that that Goblet of Fire was a step down from Azkaban, and then it continued to go down, and I was just like, and then finally it, it turned back with Half Blood Prince, and then Deathly Hallows. I think are 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 great. I think they're both good solid films, but I'm 
I, I'm, I'm surprised because I think most, most people I know pretty much feel that Azkaban is the best of the bunch. But I, I, I really never, I honestly had never heard a dissenting opinion on that. So I'm, I just, it, it, it's good. It's a good movie. They're all good. Yes. Um, they're all varying degrees of intensity. But uh, I don't know. My favorite one was, uh, was, was the fifth one, was, uh, okay. was uh, Order of the Phoenix. Having also read the, how, the Harry Potter is a very strange phenomenon because having read the books, there's a lot of things that movies do way better than those books do. It's it's oh. very it's very surprising. The especially in Order of the Phoenix, the sequence where the the auras appear, you know, and in the in the Hall of Mysteries or whatever that that last mm-hmm. battle scene is is epic in comparison to the way it's done in the book in literally in the books the a door opens and they all come running into the you know it's like all right <laughs> i guess i guess the, the scooby-doo hero, episode yeah the heroes are here that's well this is great <laughs> you know but i mean they, with all the dramatic stuff where uh where sirius just appears behind uh uh malfoy and punches him in the face and all none of that's in the books right the only pro- <laughs> the only problem with um, and I'll get off of this right after this. The only problem I had with uh, with Half Blood Prince is when uh, when they're going to get the Horcrux at the uh, where uh, Regulus had died, um, and uh, Dumbledore discovers it's a spell that he's got to drink the, yeah. the the water. And I and I was I remember sitting in the in the theater with uh, I think it was a Rosemary at the time, and I said why would anybody leave a complimentary cup there? You know, like there's, there's literally a, a cop sitting there. I'm like, what? Who, who leaves a complimentary cup when you're supposed to drink? This? Because that kind of gives it away. Like, Oh, I'm right. supposed to drink that. Yeah. <laughs> you're trying uh, to hide something. Yeah. That was the only no, issue I had with it. The scene, the scene in the movie where he gives, uh, where he gets Slughorn to give up the secret the, that he's been hiding mm-hmm. um, is again. If you read the book and you watch the the film, it's it's okay in the book, very rudimentary. It's downright heartbreaking in the film, and they just do not do it. The, the book yeah. does not do the the sequence any justice <laughs> when you really see it, and that's just me. But um, I, but oh oh. I was going to say, I, I just uh, honestly, and forgive me, because really, I'm sure you could do an entire podcast on this subject. Oh, yeah. But but given where we are with cancel culture, mm-hmm. I wonder what in years from now, how the books survive and how the films survive. And do people go to them? Because that entire generation got so engaged and excited about the material, both film and, and books. And now because of Rowling's comments it's in a weird place and I don't know. I mean, I have, and I'll even confess, I've only seen the first two movies. Shame on me. What kind of nerd am I? I really appreciated that, (laughs) but I hadn't read the books. I I hadn't read the books. So it it, like, it wasn't necessary for me to continue the series until, you know, whatever. And I just kind of, you know, other things attracted me, but I even, I haven't been paying attention if prior to Rowling's comments, the movies were constantly on TV. The way Star Wars, oh, they still are the great franchise. Okay, they are. They, they, they still are. are absolutely okay. Because I and I know that it's a complicated thing yeah. now for certain parts of the audience where they don't know what to do. 
I think you know I, mean? I think nostalgia being being as powerful as it is now, and nostalgia is a, a seriously huge part of our uh, sure. digest of uh, entertainment. I think that's going to save Harry Potter um, in future. You know, once once this generation starts to get into our age group, and and they, you know, it's like I just remember things were better then, and you know, I remember going. <laughs> I I think what will suffer is the Fantastic Beasts series is probably because it was already it was already wounded with the last movie. And so now these comments and also Johnny Depp's involvement with it, you know, which is even though he's somewhat exonerated, he's still, he's still kind of damaged a little from that whole controversy. So having Johnny Depp and now JK Rowling and the second movie, not being a financial giant, I think that series is going to get hurt a lot more by her comments than Harry Potter, which was, which is already in the bank. You know, but not not only that, but I think that with the Harry Potter films, I think that with all of the the core actors so quick to come out and denounce her comments straight away, that sort of stood to shield the actual film material in a way that them not worrying about, you know, people looking at it and going, oh, yeah, J.K. Rowling's whatever. but. I think they are still, they're able to compartmentalize that, that, well, you know, all the actors, everyone's part of the movies, they're all still okay. You know, and that, that yeah. made that, that it's still okay to like that. And, and you, you know, you aren't a bad person. And that she didn't actually direct any of those movies, you know, she was just in the, right in the background. Correct. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just not, I was going to say, it's, I think it's, uh, she becomes a footnote to her own creation. Those, those movies and those stories. I mean, how many people have read the books and, it's really deeply ingrained. I don't, I don't think it dies. <laughs> Again, I've really? only read the third okay. one. <laughs> I love the movie. I love the movie enough that that was and the, I actually, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I get, a, I get a verbal black. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, the, so there I you use go. them as kindling. In fact, so, uh, like my, my, this is yeah, a black hat I, switch <laughs> that I just, at, I have it on it. I just have it on. Oh, yeah, that'd be good. That'd be good. <laughs> that'd be good. That 30 times dead tonight. Man yeah. John's choice for favorite is diner. There's a little place where people gather to enjoy the banquet of life. It's the diner. And what they really want most isn't on the menu. Come on. You miserable creature. It's a slice of life. Did you turn it to such a thing? Oh, look it. With a touch of spice. Better put that sheep down. And a little love. You happy with your marriage or what? Beth is terrific and everything. Always got the diner. Yeah, we always got the diner. Nothing could be finer than eating at the diner. You guys really are sick, you know that? It's because you got no sense of humor. Diner. It's open all day and cooking all night. From 1982, directed by Barry Levinson with a running time of 110 minutes, a group of post-college friends come back together for a friend's wedding in 1959 Baltimore. John, what is it about Diner? Well, I mean, it really hit me at the right time. I literally, I think it came out when I was a junior or senior in, in high school and my group of friends, we really related to this movie. And as, as Ebert used to say, as you get older, films hit you in different ways. And it was, 100%. it was, it, it spoke to me. I'm sorry. hundred percent. Oh, there you go. Yeah. hundred percent. 
yeah, I mean, it, it spoke to me as a kid approaching adulthood and facing the same challenges that this group of friends did. It's a little movie, but it's, it, I just think it had so much character and impact. And now as an adult, I can look back and fondly and, and see that same idea of these guys just, you know, suddenly are, are, are uh, reluctantly approaching adulthood and they don't know how to handle it and, and, and in various ways. And I just think it was a, a moment in time for all these actors, uh, Tim Daly and Mickey Rourke and uh, Kevin Bacon uh, and uh, Judge Reinhold. Uh, was it? No, not Judge no. Reinhold. Paul Reiser. Uh, Daniel Stern. Dan Daniel, Stern. That's Dan exactly. Stern Daniel Stern. That's what I was thinking. Ellen Barkin. I, yeah, I just, and also I'm a sucker for period movies too. Okay. And it's, you know, 1959 Baltimore. Um, I had the chance, Barry Levinson was at New York Comic Con one year, just strolling the aisles as a fan. And I forget which creator recognized him and started talking to him. And I immediately followed. And I'm sure he was annoyed, like, hey, man, I'm trying to be low key. But, uh, <laughs> but I couldn't help it. I mean, I like his, uh, what he calls his Baltimore movies, Avalon and this. And I'm a big fan of Tin Men, the right. uh, Richard Dreyfus, uh, Danny DeVito movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so I mean, I mean, yeah, just to scratch the surface, I just think. Really great performances by the young characters. I think uh, Levinson directed it quite well. I love the soundtrack. I think the script was very tight. Uh, we didn't mention Steve Gutenberg. It's one of Steve Gutenberg's right. rare non-police academy movies <laughs> that are actually <laughs> pretty good. You know, a pretty good performance. Um, yeah, I just, I do. I, I, I'll admit it. For me, it's a, it's a sentimental favorite. I, uh, I had seen this movie a long time ago. I didn't remember much about it. I remember the scenes of them in the diner, but far from that, I didn't remember any of the, the supporting storylines. I found a couple of things really interesting about it. They seem to take care of everyone's character, you know, across the span of five or six days, whatever it is. But they don't wrap up Tim Daly's storyline. His is no. just left completely open. And Paul Reiser's character has no story. Yeah, he's there for comic relief. He's Absolutely. literally, you never see him away from the diner. The farthest you get with him is the parking lot, you know, going with his the back wedding. and forth with Gutenberg. Yeah. And or yeah, the wedding, the speech, sorry. yeah, the speech at the wedding, the best man yeah. speech or whatever. But other yeah. than that, you don't, he, he has, he's got nothing going on. And I'm assuming since they're all, they're all in their early 20s. This is post-college. They're all, you know, kind of what do we do after that? Because Mickey Rourke is supposedly going to law school. That's know, right. These other guys have gotten married. Some guys have, you know, are in, have done college and whatever. Obviously, Kevin Bacon has done nothing. I got done with this movie and I had this overwhelming sensation. This watching this movie felt like listening to a Springsteen song from the 70s. Oh, I just that's what this song. That's what this movie feels like to me. That's interesting because it, it, it feels like is. it feels like listening to Jungle Land or, or, or the Born to Run album. You know, it, it just feels it feels like that kind of story. You know, when he when he used to do those long, epic story songs and that that's how the how this thing kind of feels to me. I, I found it really interesting. This is Levinson's first uh, directing job. He'd written some stuff beforehand, but, uh, you know, some worked on some Mel Brooks films. And but this was his first. He started working on the script, he said, for this in like 1980. And, uh, you know, it took him a, a year or two to, to get it put together. The guy shopping for the television in the, uh, in the, in the, in the store <laughs> the with Dan Stern. The old man. Yeah. Apparently that actor was in every single Barry Levinson film up until his death in 2001. That's right. Uh, Barry referred to him as his lucky charm. 
Sure. I thought that that was a fun little uh, oh, God. A fun little thing. I want an Amazon cabinet style color. <laughs> I don't like color for nothing. 21 inch TV. <laughs> yeah. I saw Bonanza in color. The Ponderosa looked fake. Holly recognized little Joe. <laughs> I mean, just those li- I mean, that's what I love about it because it's not about the story. It's about, it's scene after scene and just this very natural, almost, it feels very improvisational. It, it, it's, the, it's the classic slice of life film. It's the classic chunk of time, you know, 10 minutes in the life of this guy. Yeah. I love the setup with, with Mickey Rourke and Ellen Barkin. Uh, and you where where nowadays you know what direction it would go, and watching that, it was just so fun to see that back then you know it wouldn't go that way. You know they, 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 that's it would be you know he would he would he would turn on he would be the better guy, you know. And, and yeah. just it was it was fun to watch. It's it's a well done film. It's uh, to me personally, uh, it's not uh, it's not a great movie. Uh, I, I thoroughly enjoyed watching it again uh, after all these years, but um, yeah, uh, Latham or Son, who wants to go first? No, Latham can go first. Oh, oh. Okay. looks like Latham's going first. <laughs> I'll go first. Yeah, I I've seen almost every '80s movie, but I had not seen this one. Oh, really? It, yeah, it, it, I just well, I okay. missed when I when it came out. What was it? Eighty-two. Two. So I was eleven. Uh, so I wouldn't have been able to see it anyway or understood it. And then it just flew <laughs> by the wayside as far sure. as a film. And it's I not, it's not a it's film a, little, a kid's going to go watch anyway. No, it's a little movie. It was, a, it was definitely a small movie. Yeah. And um, so I, I had all, it's on my, it's in my book of movies to watch. So, so I got to cross it off, which is always fun. And uh, I, the, the interesting thing about it is if you go in knowing nothing about it or when it came out, it's very hard to peg down when this movie was made that's how good everything in it looks and and for a debut from a director i mean are you kidding me with the sets the the buildings the cars all the details in it i mean who knows that who i don't know if they're accurate accurate or not i'm going to assume most of the details are but I, I wouldn't know if this was like an early 70s movie or a late 80s movie or whatever and that's that's a testament to how he crafted it and put it together. Uh, there's all kinds of interesting things he does to make this movie uh, uh, distinct as well. And like Steve said, it's like the it, you know it's the ultimate slice of life movie. There weren't many slice of life movies up till this point. Am I not correct? I mean, this besides maybe an Altman movie from the '70s. I mean, these are. This this felt like the first slice of life movie where you just jumped from wherever to wherever. You didn't know where right. you're going next. You come in here, you well, exit here, and you get everything that goes on in that period. But some things are open, some things get wrapped up, and that's just the way it is. You yeah, know there's there a are, coming, and that's it. Yeah, there are there are other films like that. I mean, I, and um, right now they're unfortunately escaping my yeah. mind as far as titles. But, yeah, I mean, it really was just kind of an art house genre of – slice of life films and character studies that didn't necessarily have a, a conclusive ending to it. And you didn't know where characters wound up and everything, but yeah, it was uh windy city is a film like that, that uh, John, uh, Oh God, I can't think of his name now. He's in after hours with Griffin Dunn. Uh, great actor D- died far too young in his sixties, uh, but a great character. He's the jerk in uh, big 
to Tom Hanks, the other oh, toy executive. I know but, you're talking about. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, so he's in a movie like that. I mean, that's the thing. So yeah, I mean, I, I, that's why, like, literally, it was my my high school and early college years, and I sought out those art house movies like like Diner. So so yeah, I mean, and and you're right. I mean, they, they were just John they, Hurt. Was, they were on, that's right, John Hurt. Thank you. They were on a separate track as far as movies, and it really was Pauline Kael championing championing uh championing if i'm saying i'm not saying the word right but you know what I'm, thank you uh thank you uh but yeah it was really her positive uh vibes about diner that got it wide release because it really was kind of made i think at the end of a regime change at uh, the studio so it may yeah. not have made it but thank god she discovered it and really that's right that's you know right. talked it up big it's the rare power of a critic there or i mean that back then yeah back, back then, then especially was, that could matter and she was a She's unique the king critic. of the queen. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And um, it's full, uh, you know, like you were saying, art house flick. It's it's filled with things that the first time you watch it, I'm sure most people didn't even notice some of this stuff. The movie they're watching in the theater when they're saying, you know, he's saying, oh, this is, uh, <laughs> this is symbolic. And they're watching The Seventh Seal. That's and right. That, and, you know, that's just... <laughs> That look, that look at Gutenberg's face. What's happening? <laughs> I don't understand. And then they're out of that scene, but that that's great. <laughs> you never, you never see Eddie's wife the whole movie. Yep, you never right. see her once. Okay, there's, you know, there's the great ending with the bouquet, which is, you know, that's it's hard to it's hard to end a movie uniquely, and that's that was fantastic. Yep. That yep. made me like the movie even more. The scene in the TV station where they're talking alone. <laughs> And then the light goes on and you can hear them and it's never explained really, but it's obviously there's a point being made and I didn't fully even get it, but I just love that you had the guy in the foreground, them in the background and then the TV, that kind of, kind of framing and planning out of a, a debut director. I mean, that's. If you were listening to what was playing on the monitor before it yeah, switched dialogue. over to their dialogue. It fit. That's where the, it was like exactly the same. It was yeah. like a soap yes. opera. Yeah, yeah. I figured that they were related. The two things they were saying. Maybe yeah. that was it. it That's why the guy never even it. lifts his head up. Right. Right. The, the guy's just like, nah, yeah. It's it all, like it all sounds like yeah. <laughs> it all sounds saccharine to me. And Absolutely. That, yeah. Definitely. That that's a point or a theme of this film. I think is that is that you know all this stuff in life, all this drama and shit that everyone goes through is that. <laughs> Everyone does go through it. It doesn't matter if you watch it or you experience it. You're just, you're always a part of it. And I, I like that he, that's a hard thing to put forth, but, but the best way to do it is to tell it through little vignettes, slice of life, just to show that everyone goes through random, strange things like this. And I, I really like that. I love the scene where Daniel Stern chews out his wife about collecting records, okay? Because, God damn it, if I haven't had that conversation 10 times in my life with different people explaining why I collect things and why you're only supposed to touch them a certain way and put them back where they, where they came. Yep. I love that. The whole, the whole thing is it just grows on classic movie that grows on you as it goes. There's no bad performances in it. There's no, no weak acting. And I felt almost like, you know, he obviously has this love of Baltimore and that area and, and nostalgia and, and that's a character in itself. And 
that may be the most the best drawn character in the film is the city and how he portrays it with these different locations and it feels bigger than the size of the film it is and that's you know it's rare for anyone to create that let alone someone on their first movie so uh i would i would highly recommend it and uh, i'm glad it's it's almost strange i'm almost glad it took me this long to watch it because i think i appreciated it more being older it's funny and i think i think you'll probably agree with me lay i mean there this I connected with the group of guys hanging out at the diner late at night. Uh, oh yeah. You know, not only just because of stuff that we did. Right. But I had a whole other group of friends when I was in high school uh, or right post high school um, that we did the exact same thing. You know, there every night we would always end up at the, at the local 24 hour place and we would go there and we would hang out till three in the morning and then, you know, drive home. And, you know, next day was the next day. Yeah. Um, I, you know, the, 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 what was killing me about the movie and the whole Daniel Stern thing, him being the only married one was the, the whole thing, like, like at the beginning when they leave that event and they're driving home and, and, and Fenwick does the whole prank on him and, and does the whole thing. And then, so they get in the car to leave and, and Ellen Barkin's like, Oh, so we're going to go get something to eat. And he's just like, no, we're going home. And he's like, and that, but yet when he get he's getting back in the car, he's like, I'll see you guys later at the diner. Right. And it's like he's gonna go go home with the wife and drop her off and then leave and go out with his buddies till you know dawn. And I'm yep. like, I'm like, yeah, it doesn't bode well. Yeah, that no, doesn't that doesn't that doesn't play well at uh, at home. But yeah, I, I I I really connected it for on on that level, uh, multiple periods of my life that I that was in in groups of had groups of friends that that we kind of operated in that manner. Hassan. Yeah, what got me about this movie is that you're you're trying to convince me that Daniel Stern got Ellen Barkin. <laughs> nah, fair enough. That's the science fiction part of the movie. Yeah. Especially being a collector. I mean, as soon as she found out he was a coll- he was a collector, she would have ran for the fucking hills. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That conversation about the records that would have happened one time, and then she would have been. God, <laughs> he would have come back home from the diner, and the the rest of the movie would have been "Where's my wife?" And oh. then the rest of them would have fanned out to go looking for. So her. it was really funny. Yeah. What was really funny is right after that scene when he storms out yeah. and she's like all upset, and before Mickey Rourke comes to the door, Deirdre just turns to me and goes, "She's gonna destroy that whole fucking collection." Yeah. <laughs> it's that it's that sensibility of the little woman. And yes. I, and I and that's the thing is you there's, know there's the subtext, there's definitely some of that. Well, I there's just some the of subtext that. of her disappointment. I think it's not in the script, but I, but you can I think tell from her emotions and everything that God I got married. I, I like this was going to be the best part of my life now that I'm married and we're in this relationship. And instead, she's got this douche of a husband <laughs> that uh, you know still misses his buddies and can't let yeah. go of his single life. Which right. sad, but it's an old story. It's two prong though, also because he does say, "How come you don't ask me about this stuff? You know, this is the stuff I'm passionate about, and you don't give a shit about that. So no, we're not gonna we're, we're we don't have the connection that you think, and it's not just my fault. Absolutely. So like in his from his perspective, and I'm not defending his behavior by any stretch of the imagination, but from his perspective, it's like, look, I'm not telling you that you need to be an expert on who." You know who, uh, the who are. these guys are. Yeah, <laughs> but don't touch them if you don't respect them. You know, or like, and look, 
as a person who's lived with other people, that's a real thing. It's like, yeah. look, if you don't if you don't give a shit about this, that's great. But he wants to hands off. He, of I mean, it's like this is who I am. Why don't you? Why don't yeah. you want to know more about who I am? That's the thing. They're right. both really in the same position of like not communicating, but really wanting the other person to be part of their lives, but they're just missing each other. And that's, yeah. that's the tragedy of that. And thankfully it looks like near the end that maybe, you know, there's, there is hope. Yeah. Uh, it'll work. It kind of, it kind of will, will try to work itself out. And I mean, for the sake of the story, yeah. you could, you, you could decide, you know, which ending you want for sure. it, which is, which is great. Oh, it's a tragic ending. Cause they plan a 10 day vacation to somewhere in upstate New York where they're going to learn to hate each other even more. The Poconos or whatever, yeah. <laughs> Poconos, that's Pennsylvania, but that's right. Yeah. Come on, dude. Three-day vacation, yeah. okay. Ten days, Be- not a Beautiful crazy. Mount Airy Lodge. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a sad story. I never had, like, friends of mine where I just, I just came from, like, utterly, utterly geek, you know, uh, surroundings. Like, just... We just geeked out on every. We didn't do any of these things, you know. We didn't. There was. We were in the city anyway, so there was no diner that we went till till three o'clock in the morning because that wasn't working. Now you'd you know? have to go across the had, river for that. Yeah, well, nobody had a car, you know. Oh, I mean, we didn't, too, you know. Yes. So that, yeah, that's it. There was a there was a lot of that, but um, I think the story is kind of kind of sad. It's a sad story, um, and it's. I think that the tip off or the note of the sadness of the story is, uh, you know, the introduction of Kevin Bacon just breaking windows for no reason, Oh, you know, and he's just saying smiles. It's just for smiles and stuff like that. And it just never lightens up at at that point, you know, he's a tragic character. Very Uh, tragic. Yeah. Um, and I mean, like, because it's the nature of the story, it doesn't go to the, the places where typical Hollywood stories would go, where he would get killed and, you know, you know, uh, Daniel Stern would get divorced and, you know, but it just kind of stops and you, you're the one, you know, you, and then also the fact that Kevin Bacon's a genius, you know, and nobody knows about it and he's hiding it from everybody else. He's not letting anybody else know about it. You know, the whole thing just came off like really sad. It's like, wow. You know, every one of them was like, this isn't going to work. You know, like none of these things are going to work. Like everything that I wanted to do isn't going to happen. Uh, you know, the, everything that I decided I was going to do, like um, like uh, uh, Mickey Rourke's like, well, I, I figured I would be a lawyer because it would sound good, you know, and it would, you know, you get girls from it. And, yep. stuff. and then you got, a, you know, Michael yeah. Tucker's like, just come work with me. And he's not even a poet. He doesn't have any opposition to it. He's like, all right, but I'm only going to be there for a little while. And Michael Tucker's like, sure. Yeah, Always yeah, you're going to be there for a little while. Still, I still, I, I, you know, after I you know, after you get a couple of steady paychecks, you're going to, you're mine, dude. You know, like, let's, let's not, uh, yeah. you know, I'll just be there until I work off the $2,000. Sure. Well, and that, sure, that's yeah. the other thing too, is like that, that moment, that sort of little bit of redemption that, that is involved for Boogie. And you're like, you know, you, I just, as soon as that happened, you know, and at the end of the day, the only damage he took was a punch in the stomach, essentially, and a couple of face slaps, you know, that character would yeah. would have been killed for the debt or yep. or or viciously yeah. beaten in any sort of modern setting and there wouldn't there would have been no angel character coming in yeah. and saving the day just because he knew this guy's dad but in real life nothing happens either everything happens to you or nothing happens and that's the that's why the movie's kind of sad because it's not 
the tragedy of it is that it's all just going to kind of be benign, you know? <laughs> Ellen Barkin's going to stay there for another 30 years. Yep. Miserable. And then maybe in her 60s, she's going to be like, I'm done, you know? And then by then, there's nothing. She's, there's not much that she's going to be able to. Then, and then she'll burn the house down with his records in it, you know? Then by then, you know, by, after it's all pent up and built up. Imagine how big his collection will be by then, too. <laughs> even, yeah. even Eddie's wedding is uncertain because he's convincing himself when he and Billy, Tim Daly's character, are at the strip joint and stuff. And it's like, yeah, you know, but but what you know, marriage is good. It's good, and he's trying to convince himself that this is the right move. And it's just because, yeah. all right, I'm at that age. A lot of it is, well, I'm at that age, so I need to be in a career or I need to get married because right, that's yeah. what people do. And that is the sad tragedy of that period. And and God, you know, you, you just now. described my, my, one of my aunts being in that kind of shitty marriage, and literally mm. in her sixties is like, all right, I'm out. Kids are out of the house. Yeah, yeah. I'm tired of your shit. Well, I'm done. You know, and it, and it really it was amazing. And I was really proud of my aunt having the strength to do that because her husband was an asshole. And it was just <laughs> like this, wow, way to go, Aunt Georgia. Holy shit. But you're, I mean, that's the thing, man. So in a lot of ways, I guess growing up in that kind of blue collar world, I mean, I was born in 64. So a lot of those, you know, people would have been the older adults in my life, you know, in 50, yeah. the 59 people and stuff. And, and yeah, I mean, that's the thing I kind of, I, I related to that environment in that way. Yeah. Promise is a strange thing. You know, like a lot of these stories come around and you, and you see that the, the yeah all the melancholy of those characters comes from the promise that they think they had, you know, they took all oh, there's, you know, we're, you know, in spite of what, in spite of all signs to the contrary, where we live, where we grew up, who we grew up with, who our parents are. Which is which is all a roadmap to where everything is going to end up, you know, ninety percent of the time, yeah. and it doesn't have to be bad. But in spite of all that, you still have you still think you're going to be Captain Pike, you know? Sorry, I didn't mean to start. <laughs> I, that actually, that was actually accidental. Of I wasn't course. trying to call back, but you you know you still you still think you're going to be you know Captain Video, you know, and you're going to do great things, right? And you it you end up working at the corner store. Yeah. Depending on your character, that could be fine. That could be good. You could turn that into something good. Or you could just be bitterly disappointed and then become a monster, Solution, you know, which yeah. is, yeah. yeah, which is, a, well, I mean, like, you, the Tim Daly thing is, you know, obviously he came back from some, I mean, they kind of elaborate a little bit, but he came back from some undisclosed place, you know. Has a you know is I assumed is, he was off at in, in some kind of master's level school or somewhere. Yeah, but they didn't even they didn't really even no, go into no, it too deeply. I, that was, like he just that's what I took. Did you guys also think possibly he was gay and Tim, wasn't really? Yeah, that, Tim Daly. Yeah, yeah, that's been a that's been a theory. Hmm. Okay. I've never heard uh, Levinson confirm or deny it, but that's something I've seen come out of it. That again, you know, with with uh, his his woman friend sure that their one night maybe he was convincing himself i don't know that you know all right i'm a, you know i am a hetero guy and then you know she uh she gets pregnant yeah and it's just- that that sequence with the with the stripper kind of leads you to you could you could come to that conclusion where he says you know i love her and he's like and she's like you only told her like you didn't you don't tell someone you love them you show them you know you know right. and then you think because of movies, 
he's going to do some say anything kind of shit after that, that, you know, is going to convince the girl that, and it just never happens. No. It just kind of, it just kind of walks straight to the, to the credits after that. Yep. Oh yeah. I do love that. I, mean, I do love that as a rule, they usually make the strippers, the smartest women in the film. Cause they, cause you know what? Here's the thing about, well, you, everybody here knows it, but I'm just going to say it as though you don't know it because that's going to make our, the sounds really smart. Our listeners don't know it. <laughs> You can't but make most, them the dumbest because then you're gonna put it's off not even strippers, so it's not even <laughs> smart. It's the naivete comes in expectation, right? Knowledge, if you if you know exactly what the world has to offer and what your and and you know basically what your opportunities are and you resign yourself to it, you're way smarter than ninety percent of the other people yep. because it's delusion that makes everybody dumb. And he's like, well, this is obvious. Like, there's a literally there's a black label on this with a skull and two bones, and you're gonna drink it. You know, like I've <laughs> I've been around. Don't touch the stove; it's warm. I you don't understand what warmth is. Don't you don't want to find out the hard way? Do not touch the stove. And an idiot kid will go ahead and touch the stove and find out the hard way. That's um, you know, your mother's not a brilliant. She just knows more than it's you experience. because she's been through more. Yeah, yeah. It's experience, man. I mean, no, you're right. The stripper, the stripper's seen it all. She's heard it yeah. all, and that's why it's like she's, here's another. She's staff. dancing. She's dancing naked for money. She's not delusional as, as to the <laughs> no. as to the expectations of you know what the world has to offer her. You know, and there's nothing wrong with it. I really I don't have anything against it. There's, there's that weird scene where Tim Daly just starts playing music. You know, there's a lot of stuff in the film that just. It just doesn't go anywhere, you know, and it leads us to, you know, it lets you know how, how formulaic some of the story is because when it doesn't go, you're like, well, that's, well, I was, you know, at the, now if he had come out of the, 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 the bar and got into a fight and ended up in a hospital and decided he was gay, all of that would have made sense. But just since he took that piece out, <laughs> you're like, well, none of this, this is, this is nonsense, but it's only nonsense because you don't see what happens next, you know? And then in your mind, you could come up with a hundred scenarios. Well, and again, that's why the gay theory, I, again, it's been postulated by, by viewers. Yeah. I didn't get that, so, but I mean, I could see it now, now that you said it, you know, I could, I could definitely see it. Yeah. I, I didn't get that vibe. You know, I got more of a, uh, uh, what do you call that? The malaise kind of thing yes. where he's just, yeah, college wasn't what he expected it to be. And he doesn't know what to do with his life. Yeah, and he's too smart for his own good. He's he's probably smarter than sure. he's probably smarter than all of them, with the exception of uh, Kevin Bacon's character. And that's the other thing; he's grown, and now he sees his group of friends, and he still loves them. But yeah, it's like, man, you know, I'm not, I don't fit in like I used to. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of that, man. Yeah. There's there's almost too much of that. <laughs> I'm not even talking about the movie; I'm oh, just in general, in general. Okay. just like. Just like in life itself, it's like, you know, I don't, and then 90% of the times you don't even know why it's different. You know, yeah. just, this is not, this doesn't work anymore. And that's what I love about the movie. It's so, the emotions in the movie are so genuine. And that makes it know, a sad movie. Absolutely. This is like, it's, it, it says it's a comedy. It lied. Fuck this movie. It life. lied to me. <laughs> life is, life is drama with bits of comedy in the middle. I mean, that's, that's and again, that's, and that's why I think I, it was incredibly profound to me as a kid. And now, like I said, being older and experiencing more of life and stuff, it's like, no, that's kind of the way things do break down sometimes. And as much as you want to still love the things that you did when you were a kid, you do grow up, you do evolve, and, and you do change. 
I never saw this movie. Uh, I did, I'd never even heard of it. And I had a weird, because it was that one, uh, that one word title, you know, of, of uh, and, you know, usually with all the movies now we have, uh, especially foreign movies, you get a one word title of a movie that about an eating establishment. It's usually some weird French movie about cannibalism. <laughs> so, <laughs> so diner, I was like, oh boy, what are we in for this now? And you know, the delicatessen, I get it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And, and because we were coming off of, but I didn't realize that we were done with Scaramental, right? So I was like, oh, diner, that yeah. just, that sounds like it's going to be another one. So it was a completely, it came out of nowhere for me. I had never seen it. I, I watched it. It was, it reminds me of the, uh, uh, not Lords of Flatbush. Um, I can see that. But it was some, yeah, it was somewhat like that. But there's another one. What's the one with Stallone? That is um, Lords of Flatbush. Flatbush. Is that Lords of Flatbush? Yeah. Okay. Henry so, yeah, Wendler and Perry King. Yeah. 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 yeah it, reminds, it reminded me very much sure, of that. Absolutely. Um, but it didn't push the 1950s angle that strong. No. Correct. You know, if without the cars, you wouldn't really, you, it was, it's almost timeless, you know? Yeah. So I didn't know about the movie. I'd never heard of it before. I probably would have never watched it on my own. You know, like, well, I'm watching a bunch of white guys. I'm, dying. I'm absolutely screw this movie. <laughs> There's a kidding. lot of black people was, in this film. Yeah. Huh? There, was, there, was a, there was a sax player. There was a sax player. <laughs> that's, 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 that's not No, not at all. Yeah, not not at very all. diverse. Well, hell, there's like next to no women in the movie either other than the no. stripper and Ellen Barkin. And you knew mother. it was a North movie because uh, in the very beginning in a diner, there's two black guys in the diner eating. Yeah. So there's, it was, there's no segregation, you know. Right, of, right. Of, so, so I'm like, all right, whew, I'll just dodge that bullet, you know. <laughs> I, don't sure. to, I don't want to watch a sociology lesson. That's, that's always. But, but um, as I was saying, I enjoyed it. That's I thought awesome. it was a good movie. So, good. yeah. Oh, that's so, great, guys. Honestly, so thanks that, that. that makes me feel good. And again, because I, I know it's coming with my guilty pleasure. <laughs> I mean, it reminded oh, me it's... of uh, it reminded me of Beautiful Girls for some reason. Sure, which Absolutely. I like. Okay, yes. the exact same vibe. Yep, there you uh, go. And I I like that movie a lot. Similar to this one, hundred uh, percent. And one one other thing I forgot too was Steve Gutenberg is you know Eddie. I, I mean, yes, he's Eddie. Um, he, he's the his performance in this is fantastic. And it's it's almost you, you almost start to think he just made a bad choice to go to the police academy movies because he's great in this. And I don't know if you guys have seen the bedroom window. Yes, sure. I have. Yeah, I've he's seen that. fantastic in that too. And that's a that's a thriller. And it, it's just like this guy could have had so many other great movies, but he made Police Academy one to seventy three instead. And it's like yes. why? <laughs> He took I, the money. I, I don't. He he only yeah, he made a, three. He did take the money. He, take the money. <laughs> it was, it was only three of them. There were several hundred police academy movies. But he's only but in the first three. Steve Gutenberg was only in three. Only he, in uh, might three. be might be four, maybe four, but I don't think so. He, he did do good in Cocoon and the and the sequel. Yeah, to Cocoon, Cocoon well. was a great, great about movie. Cocoon, good point. Well, no, you're right. About and that. then three three men in a baby. Yes, a, like, you know, three men in a baby. Directed by Star Trek's own Leonard Nimoy. <laughs> don't worry we're not going back uh, no I, I that's why i didn't say <laughs> on voyager there was this one episode <laughs> that there was a steve gutenberg voyager episode and, he the pink no. alien he was just unrecognizable <laughs> in and, that makeup and we have left the diner <laughs> 
Now, now we step into John's guilty pleasure, Armed and Dangerous. Yes, indeed. From 1986, directed by Mark Lester with a running time of 88 minutes. An ex-cop and a disenchanted lawyer meet while working as armed guards. They run afoul of a conspiracy involving crooked union leaders, crooked cops. Hilarity ensues. John, I, I really must know what, why. I understand. I and I and I stress guilty pleasure. Yes. I am I am an I am a massive SCTV fan. Okay. Uh, so I loved Eugene Levy and John Candy well before their film careers happened and walked into this movie hoping for that uh magic. Vi- well, vibe of comedy if not magic. And I got it because um Levy is a great straight man. Well, I, I did. Well, they were I mean, both straight men. That's the thing. They, but well, I, yeah, uh, I suppose. But I did think. Uh, I mean, con, you know, Candy's the loose cannon. They were trying to make Candy a Belushi sort of character in this movie, in terms of being kind of the slob and the wise ass and stuff. And I, I really liked it because it did evoke a lot of SCTV moments for me. It's ridiculous. Uh, God, we talked about well, Meg Ryan. Or, I mean, God, you, you know, you mentioned uh, Ellen Barkin oh, she's so falling for uh, for Daniel Stern. Mm-hmm. Meg Ryan's gonna fall for a unibrow, ugliest beetle browed Eugene <laughs> Levy, possibly one of the ugliest, you know, uh, leading with, men. A, with a Jewish mullet. You know, with a with a with a, with a it was just like wow, that hair is. Bad. Oh yeah, oh yeah, that's his that's his big hair. Absolutely. I mean, that's he had it in, in the SCTV days as well. And yeah, it's it's stupid, but it's so stupid funny to me. I love Robert Loja as one of the union bosses. I, lo- I love Tiny Lister as the uh, union enforcer. That's uh, that's kind of a pain. And I actually got to yeah. meet Tiny Lester and I rattled off credits and I'm like, hey, man, I loved you in Armand Dangerous. And he just started laughing. And he's like, really? And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. man, I do. And also, God... Stupid Steve Railsbeck, who played yes. Manson Jesus in Helter Christ. Skelter, and that weird, uh, you know, <laughs> cameo at the end is the truck driver. But it's <clears throat> it's this it's you know it's a police procedural comedy. It's a buddy comedy movie. Um, again, it's the it's the chemistry of Candy and Levy, and a lot of the when when he's trying to uh, when Levy's trying to rally the other uh, security guards and whip them into a frenzy in the union meeting and stuff. It's, it's hilarious. I mean, it's, yeah. Quite yeah, I mean, a parliamentary yeah. procedure. Exactly. And everybody's <laughs> starting to applaud. You know I mean? Yeah. It, it's, it, again, it's so dumb. And I forget the, the great character actor's name that played Meg Ryan's father. Kenneth but, uh, uh, yeah. What's his name? Kenneth McMillan. A.K.A. Barrett, Baron Harkonnen. That's right. <laughs> yes, and also uh, Pope of Greenwich Village. Yep. He's oh Barney, my God. The Safecracker. I love and, that. Oh, movie. he's yeah. He's uh, me too, man. And that easily could have <laughs> been one of my, my favorites. They my thumbs jolly. Yep. Oh God, yes. I mean, really, I love that movie. But um, but yeah, I I again, I I know it's it's a stupid, stupid movie. <laughs> but I completely agree with all of that. But again, just loving the SCTV guys and seeing them working together again. And yeah, I mean, you've seen flashes of Eugene Levy's brilliance in Shit Creek and some of the other things that he's done subsequent, well, certainly in- More uh, than Splash. flashes. Splash, Creek, obviously, yeah. he was amazing in Splash. So there are elements, brief moments that evoke the best of Eugene Levy. Like I said, it's not a great movie. I can't help it. And when it's on TV, 
I do watch it. I do own it as well on DVD. I, and it just, I, it does it. It makes me laugh. I will, I will not fault any of the bits and pieces that were, were cobbled together to make this film. Uh, the, them, them in and of themselves are, are all mostly pretty solid. Um, this, this screenplay was co-written by Harold Ramis uh, and, someone named, and someone named P.J. Torquevay. Uh, who was born Peter Torquevay and uh, transitioned at the age of 50 into a female. Together, they wrote this. Uh, They wrote the equally dreadful Caddyshack 2. Yes. But but she was also part of the nine-man writing team behind Back to School and uh, apparently worked on two excellent comedies in Real Genius and Guarding Tess. There you go. Uh, so I will give her. Yes. Oh I will God. give her some some credit yeah. with those. However, these these Deirdre's quote after watching this film, uh, actually not even after watching it during it, uh, she said, "It must have been so easy to write and sell movies in the eighties." Ramus Ramus was coming off of Animal House and Caddyshack. Well, so I'm he, sure he had cachet. He lobbied to have his name removed as producer mm-hmm. and as screenwriter. Hilarious. And they, and they only removed it as producer. Wow. Um, they left his name. WGA would not remove his name as screenwriter. Wow. And own it, bitch. Exactly. Yeah. I. It's. Yeah. I. I have. Uh, I, I'm sorry, John, but uh, don't I, be. I think I may have chuckled once. Of all the, I mean, of all the things you could, I mean, listen, if somebody would have told me, I had now, I had never seen this before, honestly. And if you'd have told me walking into it that I expected an 80s campy comedy with John, John Candy and Eugene Levy to be silly, to be, to be probably bad, but I at least expected to get some laughs out of it. I understand. I may have chuckled once and it was probably more at the fact that Meg Ryan, while incredible at like at, at arguably the cutest point in her career as an actress. The only reason her character exists in this film is so that her father's character has a reason to try and redeem himself. That's the only reason for her character to be there as something for her father to go, Oh no, I need to go and save my daughter. Oh, absolutely. I, as Kelly Sudeconic always says, you know, a lot of women are sexy lamps at the end of the day. And they really don't have a, a, a meaningful part of the story. And absolutely, I agree with you. I'm and, and, and and listen, I, I, and while and while I won't <laughs> and while I won't fault Robert Loggia for just walking into this film and just chewing up every little bit of scenery that he's involved in, uh, and just dancing around like a madman, seeing him in this is almost painful because knowing what he has done before this and what he was capable of just makes it seem like he like this is literally one of those those De Niro films that he was that De Niro was doing in the 70s or late 70s and early 80s where he was just doing paychecks to to fund his Tribeca projects you know and I I feel like he literally just came in here he shot a few days of being a crazy (laughs) crazy union guy and and went home you didn't like the scene that when they're at the party and uh John Candy's reading their lips and oh I'm sorry I, I seem to have lost my penis <laughs> oh yes. Uh, again, yeah. I no, I don't blame I, you. It's all right. Again, I, it's a ridiculously I, stupid and, scene. And, and I guess but I and, love that scene. And the problem is, is I've seen it done better and I've seen it done before. Sure. So it's not sure. it's you know, and and it's the fact that that they it's like they couldn't pick which guy that they wanted to make be, to your point, the straight guy 
versus the funny guy. It's okay. like they, it's like it was almost like a tag team match, and it so was. you, and you, so you couldn't, you couldn't have that combination of like one truly straight guy and one truly, you know, basket case to sort of offset each other. They were like mutual basket cases that each had good points about them. But when you say, and forgive me, Dan, and I don't mean to defend and, and disagree, but... Uh, you, no, but, you should. Well, but like, uh, uh, look at Tony Randall and Jack Klugman in The Odd Couple. And there were times when uh, even Oscar was the voice of reason to Felix's neuroses, and then Felix was the voice of reason to Oscar's base behavior. Yes. So I and obviously a much better example of that. But that's, you know, so that kind of uh com- combination of straight man and, and funny guy didn't bother me. Yes, and I'm not opposed to that in a model where you take the roles that are normally assigned to a character and you're used to on a general basis and have them flip-flop because that's part of the the allure of that relationship. But when you your your whole film is built built around from the ground up about two guys who were you know, where Candy was arguably very good at his job and gets gets screwed over and well, loses the, it, you know, not of his own volition and not because no. of anything he did wrong. And yeah, but then it's you the classic, get, yeah, it's the classic trope I of know, a great it's, cop it's a, that, yes. you know. Right, but that, and, that, and that's system. what makes me say that he was more the straight guy in this movie because he's the main guy and this is, you know, this bad thing happened to him. He's got to try and set himself straight. But then... You get him to the wharf and he's talking to his buddy, the ex-thief, and there's that whole scene where he catches the shark and there's the whole thing where he's just tying up a bunch of fishing poles and eventually shoots the shark. And I'm like, what what, what the hell's going on now? <laughs> the one thing that I did find interesting in doing a little digging about this, the other interesting thing I found. So, so this was originally conceived as a vehicle for Belushi and Aykroyd. That's right. And then obviously John passed away. Right. And so then Harold Ramis and Aykroyd were going to do this film. And then John Candy was brought into the mix because uh, Harold had other things to do. Right. And so it was Candy and Aykroyd with John Carpenter attached to direct. Interesting. I didn't know that. That's amazing. And then John Carpenter apparently woke up from his fever dream and declined. Uh, and Aykroyd <laughs> left the project. Uh, so then. Tom Hanks was considered for the Eugene Levy role. Interesting. And then at that point, John Candy brought up his pal, Eugene Levy, and obviously the rest is history. You know, I, I just, <laughs> this, I, I covered all my points. Uh, I will let someone else go now, but uh, it, this, I'm this sorry is, to subject you. No, 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 no. Don't, okay. don't, don't ever apologize. This, this truly is a guilty pleasure. And I, and I absolutely understand. I, Listen, John, we all have them. This is, this, is, you are, this is not yeah. something that's unique to you. Yeah, no, Latham <laughs> doesn't have any films that he likes that are bad because that would just be, you know, erroneous. No, it's cool, man. And again, I, and that's why I'm like, all right, let me get it. Cause I initially I'm that's like a, maybe golden child. And I'm like, you know, actually I think a lot of people do like golden child. That's a great that, movie. That guy I, right there. And I would have, I would have agreed still a guilty pleasure. Cause I think that movie's terrible. And again, well, okay. Okay, because honestly, it underperformed as far as Paramount was concerned. But I think it's a very fun fantasy comedy. Right. And it's, and then, yeah, absolutely. uh, Eddie Murphy's pitching underhand, but I think it's a fun performance. And he almost disowns the movie because it didn't do as well as Beverly Hills Cop did. 
But I'm like, I think it's a great movie. And I've had other people push back at me and go, oh, it's not an underrated movie. And I'm like, okay. And that's why. So I'm like, all right, no, no, not Golden Child. And I'm like, well, I got to admit, I love Armed and Dangerous. And it is pretty rough, but I do love it. Hassan, would you like to to weigh in? Had you seen this before? I'd seen it before. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Did you watch it again? I did. Okay. Wow. Unlike you, Steve, I require an apology <laughs> i understand and i please apologize. apologize to me john I am, i'm sorry i'm sorry again for those 90 minutes you'll never get back in your life it's never it's I a understand. time of covid john we can't know, be buddy. messing with our time man i know man i, I understand <laughs> it's okay well it's not okay but i do apologize uh no i you know what i i it isn't it isn't okay. well I'd seen it before, so it's not your fault. I went in there. I went, you, <laughs> you know, went when I was younger, when I was way younger, I went in there way with my eyes wide open because one of the Lander sisters was in this. So oh, I forgot right. you're right. right. Judy yeah. Landers, right? Yeah. I followed her down the rabbit hole of, uh, of <laughs> Armed and Dangerous. Judy Landers. <laughs> yeah, it's not a good, it's not a good comedy, man. It's not really, it's, uh, it's, it's not, I will tell you where it's funny. It's funny. It's funny in how blatantly eighties it is. It is like, oh yeah, it's astonishingly eighties. But it's 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 from the early eighties aspect as opposed to the Cat People, which when we watched that a couple of like a couple of months ago at this point, mm-hmm. it was mid to late eighties. Like when when it started, to, when we got it started to become avant garde eighties. <clears> you know, this the you know Armed Dangerous is is tropical motif 80s right. you know? yeah. <laughs> and um barely out of the 70s 80s yeah exactly um 86 is when it came out yeah despite it. it being but again it was meant to but, be made earlier in yeah. that early 80s period absolutely it just it just feels like 80 83 oh, yeah. 84 kind of you know sure. well you know far enough from the 80s where they're happy to not be in the 70s anymore but <laughs> But not far enough in where they're embarrassed to be, if you know, part of the eighties. You know, sure. like around when you, by the time you get to movies like Die Hard or whatever, people are starting to try to make timeless movies. Like, okay, we don't want it. We don't want to reflect any oh, yeah. era because we're in a bad one. <laughs> and listen, I forgot the the moment in the um, in the briefing room where fucking Jonathan Banks. And Brian James just walk in, like they might as well had villain t villain one and villain two t shirts oh, yeah. on, oh, and yeah. I'm like, oh, all right, well, it's gonna be that kind of. Oh, and, and and how great was skinny Brian James? Brian James, yeah, that that Jonathan Banks, Brian James, and then Robert Lowe pops out, hey, and he's chewing scenery. I'm like, all right, I get it. I get what's happening, you know? And they, this movie doesn't even bother to subterfuge, you know? Like, you could tell, what I loved about it, you could tell that was Brian Brian James and Jonathan Banks wearing those ski masks. Like, right, no. they, That's like, hilarious. Like, Jonathan Banks' eyes are still miserable, even in the, the slits of the ski mask. And it's just, it's fantastic. But oh. that's what makes it, that's what's kind of funny about it. It's like, wow, this used to be, this used to be cinema I wasn't allowed to watch when cinema. I was a kid. Yeah, yeah this was high, this high was word. Yeah, this yeah, well. I I'm, <laughs> I'm 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 trying, John. I'm trying for you. I'm I'm doing that for you, man. It it was an HBO movie that you were not allowed, you know, cuz you're because oh, yeah. 
the home box office will show this movie only at night, you know, and you're, I'm not allowed to watch rated R movies. So I, when I first saw this, I thought I was getting away with something. And now I realize I didn't. No. And now I feel like somebody <laughs> owes me something. <laughs> I'm, I'm My mama was right. I shouldn't have never watched this movie. All true. Rails back though. I love Rails back throws a slim comment at him right away. Sure thing, Slim. Up, slim. <laughs> I'm like, holy shit, the eighties. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's so funny that that you said uh, Rails back. What did you mention for Steve Rails back? Helter uh, Skelter. John? Helter Skelter. Helter Skelter. Right, and, and I see Steve Rails back's name in the credit, and the first thing I think of is Stuntman. Oh, sure. I love that movie. God, I love it. And the first movie. thing I think of is Life Force. Right. You know? That's the other movie that I love. Absolutely, man. <laughs> no, you're right about all that He stuff, was man. everywhere back then. He was. He just popped up in everything. He was always this really dramatic overact. Not overactor, but he That's was. weird. Where's he serious, was, usually. Yeah, but he was always more serious than the material. Yes. So to see him as a clown, uh, you know, rodeo cowboy driving Optimus Prime was... Uh, <laughs> was pretty out there. That was pretty awesome. Do you guys know another goofy movie? And I don't mean to derail again, but I'll I'll just ask. Uh, Club Paradise. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. yeah, I know that. that I haven't right? seen it in a That's long time. It's a broken time. lizard movie. Yeah. Oh no no no! I'm I'm talking about uh, from the '80s, pre broken lizard. That you're thinking of Club Dread. Oh, you're right. Oh, I am. Rick Club Moran. Paradise was Club Paradise uh, is the Robin Williams. Yes, Robin Williams, yes. Peter O'Toole. Yeah. Uh, again, Eugene Levy, Rick Moranis, uh, an ensemble. If I remember cast, correctly, I Andrea like Martin. That so that would have been another movie of this era. Yeah. That, and I believe Harold Ramis uh, had his hands on that movie too. Same and year, yeah, man. What's that? Same year, I think. There you it go. Eighty-six too. Wow. And you know, again, I mean, that's another one of these. Yes, it was. Wow. And that's that's another one of these throwaway uh, ensemble comedy movies of the eighties. Yeah, Harold Ramis directed it. There you go. And I could have easily have picked that as a guilty pleasure because it's a shit movie. It's too late. I know. (laughs) I'm I'm happy to stick with Armed and Dangerous. You guys were aware of that movie. You know, it it doesn't help you to keep to 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 keep bringing up better movies that you could have picked (laughs) while we're while we're reviewing the movie that you already. I stand by Armed and Dangerous. It's quite all right. Look, it's it's not a great comedy. It's no. a, it, it's a great time capsule, you know. It's a great I'll it's a great way it's it's a way back machine, you know. And Meg Ryan, you know, right? In, never in tough her, to look at Meg, Meg Ryan. No, it's never. Yeah. It's never. And it's a. <laughs> I just Eugene Levy is just so I love how deadpan he is in it, and uh, just I don't know. I always I like Eugene Levy as the poor soul schlub, and that that it's I always funny. Liked. It's funny that he looks ten times better. As an elderly man, an older man, and uh, you know it, yeah, it is, that, it yeah. is past funny. middle age than he did when he was in his thirties. Like he just sure. he looked ter- he looked really badly put together back then. In, oh, yeah. uh, you know, and now you see him in you know movies and television. Now he looks he looks perfectly you know like a perfectly yeah. normal guy, and his <laughs> shtick works a lot better now. Yes, because it comes off as more of a tired cynic as opposed to this kind of obnoxious. You know, because uh, I mean, this you know, this just relentless fish out of water, which is which is basically his shtick. Totally. Even when people are shooting at them, 
You know, yeah. he never gets on board with the with the with the action in the situation. Right. Until the end when he punches you, uh you, you expect an oy vey in the face or something. You, you expect an oy vey out of him like every five minutes. Yeah. You know, he's just like oy vey. <laughs> like he's gonna become a uh what was the uh the Rarity Dangerfield wannabe Jackie what's his name? Jackie Mason. Jackie Mason. Hilarious. Very funny. I wouldn't have watched this again. I'm sorry. So man. thank you. <laughs> You should be. You should be. I, sorry. I am sorry. Absolutely. I, I'm. I'm getting. I'm not getting younger. I wouldn't. And, uh, I, you're I, taking I wouldn't up my subject, time. <laughs> if the shoe were on the other foot and I were one of the hosts, and I guess like, hey, X, I'm like, yeah, I don't know. Again, yeah. I, I would watch Armed and Dangerous, but I'm sure there are films I'd be like, yeah, fuck that. I'm not watching. Yeah, that. you know, Steve. <laughs> Steve, I'm under the weather. I can't do the show tonight. It's just, <laughs> yeah, it's just a thing, man. It's just a well. thing. Um, but but I. I enjoyed watching it. I enjoyed the experience. I don't know about the movie, but I definitely enjoyed watching it. Usually when I don't like a movie, I do enjoy the experience and I also enjoy talking about it. So that's the, you know, that's, that's a consolation because if it was just watch this movie and write a a vlog, I would have quit this job. (laughs) I get it. I get it, man. So thank you. (laughs) And and, and thank you for your apology. I appreciate both. Latham, would you like to weigh in? Ooh, it's gonna be good. <laughs> now, they get the, the important thing yeah. to know here is <laughs> that this movie means a lot to John, an artist subjective. So, as we review these films, we we must remember that our guest picked the movie because it means a lot to them You're and uh, carries a special place in their heart. Um, this movie made me angry. I'm sorry, buddy. Uh, <laughs> Like, I, I I wanted to hit things. I wanted to destroy things. Have you seen it before? Fuck no. <laughs> uh, it, there's just the, the lack of attempt in every avenue of filmmaking here was just prevalent in everything I watched. I wanted to, I was, I watch it with my daughter as I do any movie that's, for the podcast that's able to be shown to her. And we just kept looking at each other, waiting for each other to have the first laugh. And then halfway through, she said something like, which one of us is going to laugh first? And I said, (laughs) I don't know, man. I I don't, I don't know, Maya. I I really don't know. And we got to the end and realized neither of us had laughed once. And I just, it, it, Even it, the assless chaps didn't get didn't get Maya. Yeah, like I oh my goodness! And then the the scene the scene in the peep show was just yep. I mean, it's not yep. it, you made it as not only as unfunny as it could be, but just just not good, just not good. That uh, that, cringe, that cringe eighties like gay humor, like it's uh, just oh yeah. yeah. I mean, it's it's an inappropriate movie by today's standards, <laughs> absolutely. Well, I mean. So so is so is Blazing Saddles, and that's a classic. I mean, yeah, but that's that's purposefully inappropriate. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's and again, you'll goal, forgive right. me as a middle-aged white guy saying that, but yeah, man. I mean, it's like because <laughs> well, like when they recontextualized Gone with the Wind and made that uh, for HBO Max. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And well, they, by and the they way, they're racist undertones. Right. Well, and, 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 I, and I get that. And all of a sudden, a lot of conservatives are like, well, you're going to do that for Blazing Saddles, aren't you? And it's like, no, because that's the point of the movie. Yeah, this behavior is so ridiculously bad 
that and again white guy saying this middle-aged white guy but i'm like no you kind of missed the point yeah they didn't really think that's equal footing so so yeah you'll forgive me and again the quality movie as opposed to the shit show that is armed and dangerous well i mean i mean it's again it's subjective (laughs) i just i i i i just i I, everyone involved has shown talents elsewhere agreed So, so it's like that rare like movie soup where there's just nothing is going together nothing is working no one has chemistry uh, I movie just, soup. Holy shit! I'm with them. I get it. No, it really that's this, awesome. Yeah, this collaboration. I never of, even thought about that. Of A-list people. actually a better word. It's yeah, a but of people. people have, yeah, sorry. They've done other good things, and I just I thought it was just going to be okay. I'm like, oh well, this I probably won't love it, but there's got to be something in here that's funny, and it just never happened, and <laughs> it just never happened. <laughs> I mean, I guess like Hassan was trying to sugarcoat it his way and try and find something nice to say about this movie. And I, I applaud his efforts. So I'm going to try too. I have not ranked a film in my review guide below one star in a long time. Oh, I'm going to give this three or a, a, a third of a fourth star. Hilarious. Okay? Which is, so that's going to put it in my bottom 15 of all time. That's amazing. And and it's um wow. in, in a way that's, <laughs> that's kind a of short interesting. List. It, it, I, it, it honestly watching something this professionally produced that ends up being that bad is it makes you think about like just how how movies were made in the eighties and you know like like Deirdre said Steve like. They they let what did she say? They let anyone make movies. She's in the like 80s? it would it must have been so easy to make and sell movies in the eighties. I mean, just yeah, this was just like, well, this is gonna cost nothing. Uh here's our budget for the actors. Uh we're not gonna pay a script doctor to even touch this because Harold Ramis is involved, even though he wants his name off the script. And we we're not even gonna test it with audiences and ah fuck it. Here it goes. It's coming out in eighty six. I think it came out in the summer, if I'm not mistaken. You're right. And, you know, you know, this came out, then aliens came out and just people are like, well, you know, fuck armed and dangerous. I'm going to see aliens for the fifth time. Okay. I I wonder if, cause there was that period and I think it was Hollywood pictures that, that studio uh, arm of Disney or whatever, where they made movies so incredibly low budget, knowing that the coming cable, I mean, cable was already happening by then, but that these video sales. Right and video says exactly right. that they would make a profit because the right. the margin was so low. Yep, and there like that's where uh, I'll give you a couple other terrible films from that period. The Gun in Mary Lou's Handbag is a movie that. that comes to mind with right. Penelope yeah. Ann Miller and Lady yeah. um, uh, Real Men with uh, John Ritter and Jim Belushi. Right. That was wow. great to video, Holy right? Crap. I, I thought it was straight to video. It could have been. I don't remember. I didn't see. I certainly didn't see it in the theater. But yeah, yeah. man. I mean, that's the thing. Or the other. I want to say it was called the other guys with Richard Lewis and Tim Thomerson and Louis Anderson. I wow. mean, right? Yeah. You know. So yeah, there were just these. Like you said. I mean, it's like all right. Well, these are these guys are funny, and we kind of have a script. Let's put it together and, and see if it works or not. And yeah, sadly, I do remember these other titles. So you're you guys are right. It really was that period where they i think studios did take a gamble knowing that the video and cable markets were there 
that, well, okay, they'll make a profit. And the sad reality is, no, shit is shit. And and most people will stay away from movies like this, and they and the experiment failed. Those movies did not end up making a profit. So, I'll tell you yeah. something even sadder. Somewhere out there, there's someone with a sad story of how they didn't land a role in this movie. <laughs> you know, that's like Gilbert there's Godfrey. Well, that's the Gilbert, happy Gilbert story, Godfrey. Hassan. <laughs> if you guys, I don't know. If, do you guys listen to Gilbert Godfrey's podcast? No, no. His honestly. And 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 is very uh a very uh self aware of where his career has been, uh and he oh he r- rattles off so many films he's like oh this was so bad it never even made it to theaters and just you know just <laughs> you know literally he's in Rodney Dangerfield's last two horrible movies uh, the, uh late after midnight or whatever it was called or my the movie where he's he invades a Mormon community and has oh several oh. wives. Oh, that's right. That's right. Oh, I mean, oh. these are just yeah. so, I mean, even the greatest Rodney fans are just like, yeah, I can't bring yeah, myself wait, to watch this I, shit. We ain't going there. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, I mean, that's, that's the thing is you guys are right. It's uh, yeah, unfortunately. And, and man, I've got a, a very good friend of mine who I don't know how he tortures himself, but he loves this level of shit. And is constantly throwing up uh, <laughs> DVD covers because he'll watch like movies on Tubi or Pluto and things like that, <laughs> right. where these movies live. And he just yeah. loves discovering them. And I'm like, like you said, like I told you, apologizing to you guys. I'm like, why are you wasting 90 minutes of your life on this <laughs> shit? You know, good lord, man. John Lovett's National Lampoon movies from the 90s oh, and things oh, like oh. High School High and all that crap. Oh my god. Anyway, <laughs> well, this movie sorry, Latham. No, I got nothing left. This movie didn't even make anything internationally because they didn't release it internationally. It only <laughs> made money domestically. Yeah, you see, I, they, they did. As, those... as two Canadians, I wonder how it did in Canada because you know it had uh, to be right in Canada. Yeah, because they are they're 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 gods in Canada, obviously, and that's why I'm so happy for Eugene Levy. And especially Catherine O'Hara with Shit Creek because oh, they yeah. really that that entire and and Ramus too was a first season SCTV veteran. Yes, you know I mean yeah. it, that's the thing. Like you said, uh, Latham, to have this soup of such talent and and to have such a subpar production, I I, I don't disagree with you. But I guess I'll, at the end of the day, it really is my love for these actors. Right. That that supersedes the shittiness of this movie. So uh, so Latham, uh, I know it's close to bedtime, but uh, it is. Um, I'm out of here, John. I apologize I, about this I, next. I, I think we I think we still have one more stop on this train. Yeah. Oh, what was that? It's called Station Down the Tubes. <laughs> and again, the internet. It's not something that you just dump something on. It's not a big truck. It's, it's a series of tubes. I'm sorry, John. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm game for anything. It's it's kind of my job to prepare the guests for that shtick, and <laughs> I didn't do a good job this week. Uh, so we're going <laughs> to not be paid for that either. So <laughs> I, I will tell you the one upside to this week's episode of Down the Tubes is the fact that there that is no posters the, for our Nanderous. Well, there are hardly, there are very few posters for either of these films. So uh, we'll start with Diner. Sure. Um, 
the diner, which is not a French movie about cannibalism, which is no, not. I was I was loath to find. <laughs> I used to have if it's the classic poster. I used to have it on. Uh, I don't know what happened oh, yeah? to the one sheet, but yeah, I did buy the one sheet years ago, and it was on my college dorm room for years. Wow, all, all four right, years man. of college. Okay, you know? that's, yeah, that was, that's 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 proof positive right there. What that film means to him, right? Okay, uh, it's you know, it is what it is. You say you don't like it. <laughs> No, I said okay. Oh, all right. <laughs> yeah. But it, uh, he said okay, yeah. like like he didn't I, like I, it. I, and I think it's funny too that that's such a Baltimore thing—the gravy on the fries. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. and that was—it's like when I, you know, the brown gravy on the fries because that was a thing in the Midwest. That just that wasn't a thing. You know, you never, you never. Right. I didn't, I didn't find out about that until I moved out to New York. That's funny, and I didn't until I saw this movie. Like I said, as a high school kid going into college. So yeah. Um. That was like that that night uh, we we were at Gabe's house, and he asked me if I wanted gravy on my noodles. Right, right, right. And right. I was like, "What?" Right. <laughs> and the Italian the, gravy is, yeah, the, is the, the tomato sauce. Italian thing right. Is, right, yeah, gravy, gravy is sauce. Yeah. Right. Yep. <laughs> but I'm like, keep your gravy away from my noodles. Yeah, oh, wow, <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> Good sauce. Awesome. Uh, right. Are you so, sharing? So, so next is the UK quad, and I th- I find it interesting that the quote that they changed on the on the poster what they wanted most wasn't on the menu okay <laughs> I, I don't like the framing of these spots i i, I don't know i yeah. well it's the scene from the end you know minus the no, I, I know what it is oh yeah that's the it's kind of like... weird that they don't get a good shot i mean like the shot in the movie is really good but since it's a bunch of guys sitting around in tuxedos it's kind of weird that they don't get better imagery of it you know for funny, these posters yeah. well i mean like it's, it's John fairly said, they simplistic shot this, they shot this money they shot this movie for nothing you know it's like yeah yeah maybe there wasn't the support for it from that standpoint either yeah. so so in germany it was uh clearly called american diner Fair because enough. you know i don't know what the german word if the word the german word diner is actually means something or they don't have diners they might not they might not but then it would mean. Oh, right. Could have set this at a beer hall, but that's all right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I don't. Made it translated to Germany. Brow hall doesn't have the same exactly Brauhaus connotation. Uh, yes. So next is uh, the Italian poster, which arguably is nicer, but I don't know who the guy all the way on the right is. All right, I gotta, I gotta look no, at sure. look at this. I wasn't oh. gonna. I thought we'd see him on screen, but obviously we we're doing audio. So I'm gonna bring up your attachment and look at some of this. Yeah, I don't like this one at all. This poster's just well, who who's the guy on the right? That's what I want to look at. Looks like Judge Reinhold. You were right before. <laughs> uh, who's that dude? I'm not sure. I haven't looks like James Spader. Why does it look like yeah? I, I was just gonna <laughs> say. Well, he's supposed to be in the movie in a secret like scene in the dancing scene. Oh, that's right. It is an uncredited extra but before he started his or really Maybe started his acting. Maybe they just put him on and said, oh, by the way, he's in a two-second part, and here's his dumb visage. That's funny. I'm looking for... Is it supposed to be Tim Daly, you think? No. I don't remember ever anyone wearing a, a hat Nobody like wore that. A hat. A, no, he wore a baseball hat I like think that. they just fucked up, and it's just garbage. This is just absolute garbage. I mean, it's, and it's called something something with the friends. Or with something friends. with the friends, it's literally called? 
or something where I a Sina con gli amici, which I'm assuming is something with friends. Sure. Yeah. But I, I you know, I, it's the just, is, I, it's so weird because Mickey Rourke is front and center as the clear leading man. But then I don't know who this fucking guy with the hat is. I don't either. And we will never know. I was going to say my, my, uh, my, Internet's moving incredibly, or my comp, my computer's moving incredibly slow. So we're looking at the Italian uh, picture. Yes, we were. Stand by. Sorry, that's all right. I want to. I want to see it. Maybe I can identify this actor. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> maybe it's the drunk guy that uh, that sings Blue Moon in the movie. Blue Moon. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. We sit through a, a ceremony. We got to listen to this guy. You can you can hear Paul Reiser complaining. And I and you're right. It's so interesting. And again, there's another guy that went on to have a very interesting uh, career after this. Paul Reiser. This is one of the first things he ever did. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah, you know. All right. It's and, it's, open. and it was it was funny too that Daniel Stern was the only married guy in the cast as well when they made this film. So you know he missed out on the late nights of the cast like hanging out together like post shooting. So that's kind of fun. You're right, I wonder. Steve. I wonder it's if that's a Sina, Sina Kongli uh, Amishi is having dinner with friends, according oh, there to you the go. Google a machine. Dinner, a dinner with friends. Yeah, I having wonder, dinner with friends. I wonder if that's supposed to be Barry Levinson. Because it kind of looks like a young Barry Levinson. That's, that's and, he's wearing, and he's wearing a Baltimore Orioles hat. He wears the director's hat. <laughs> you know, I, that's... That is Barry Levinson. That's exactly what that it is. That is effing bizarre. And, it and is Italians weird. Italians appreciate their directors, so that's... That would make sense. Okay. Honestly, that's who it, okay. that's who it is. Yeah, okay. that's my guess. Uh, obviously, yeah. That's, that's why I wanted just, to bring it up. That's just really strange. Okay. And now I'll open up Denmark because that's the next one. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the title for the movie in Denmark is Fuck It. Yeah. plot to blev livet mir and flotig pomfrit. That's hilarious. Yes, indeed, pomfrits. Actually, I actually arguably like this this photograph as a poster better than the main poster image that yeah. they use. It, it's sure yeah. none of these are good, but this is the best one, Bob. You know, strangely enough. Yeah, uh, no, I'm then, with you. And then last is the Japanese poster. Turn Japanese devil. And it's, it's and it's super Japanese. Wow, yeah, I mean, the stars just don't help. The putting of faces no, in stars. Yeah, you Ooh, tried. Weird. <laughs> we try. I don't even, you know, Latham. I do not think they try. <laughs> I honestly disagree with you. I don't think I, they tried. You're right. I don't. I think. I think. I think the art director gave it to his daughter and said, "Do something with this. Yeah, I got to yeah. get this done by six. Position means five actors in some <laughs> random shape all across the sky. Okay. So, so unfortunately, that is the end of our diner posters. So fair enough. From there, we will go on to the armed and dangerous collection. Ooh, yay! I well, the only... good news is, is one of these is going to be better than the film. So, <laughs> uh, I, yeah, I would I would say that. Although I I have questions, so we'll get to them. So starting with uh, USA one or USA, that's the one I remember absolutely. The, and so there's there was apparently this one and the next one were the two because and I don't yes. remember this one. I remember the other one. You don't even have a good tag. I don't. I remember this oh. one. I don't remember this other one from the, the the B. I don't remember him. Oh, that's wow. interesting. Yeah, I don't remember this one either. I don't either. So, so that's interesting. Which which one don't you remember? The, the, the one USA of him as a security guard. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 
He's got grenades on his fucking belt. Yeah, well, and yeah, and then that belt is like down around his hip or his thigh. <laughs> Do you have know? grenades in the movie, or is that a poster? No, that's, no, that's well. I mean, well, so we're we're gonna get there, but like, so so next is the UK quad, which is just a, a repurposed version of the the USA poster, right? Uh, into the quad, they didn't they didn't do a lot of stretching or heavy lifting when it came to their international uh no their international exposure and they uh, bake it see, all on candy as, as you'll see on the french poster where they just put a blue background and yeah you know again didn't change much now this is where it starts to get interesting agreed so next we have the german poster which is more along the lines of something you'd expect for a john hughes film uh in a in a strange uh way of uh of going and i don't understand why they're showing eugene levy like he's on the back of the motorcycle as if he were riding with him yeah yeah well that's something that would happen in a buddy comedy so yeah very true uh how disappointed everyone must have been when it didn't happen yes <laughs> uh, and so so next is the spanish film wh- where he has a a bow and arrows uh a a, a rifle a rifle with yeah a rifle with a spear attached to it uh right you know shotgun shell belts uh all sorts of armament stealing your microphone steve and running the other way no they're actually stealing the front tire of his motorcycle oh which is i literally just figured out because my question was why do they draw the motorcycle without a goddamn tire and i'm now just realizing that the guy in the background stole it it's yep. like this movie is a big joke on everyone else. Like we're just going to put incomprehensibly stupid things together and see if anyone actually calls us and asks why we did it. You know, and it was funny, you know, the name we didn't mention about in connection with this film, as far as the, as the far of a uh, uh, soup of, of, of collaboration of people involved with this Brian Grazer. Grazer yeah. Yes, it did. Sure. Yeah. Um, uh, by the just, way, I know this is a little late, but my dead, internet right? my internet dropped out. But they t- they <laughs> the title of the movie in Germany, the "Das Unter Volodampf" yeah. is too under full steam in translation. <laughs> okay. <laughs> wow. Two under full steam. Yeah, because they had to uh, put it on a double bill with the seven seals, so they had to make it look very artsy. <laughs> You know, so uh, finally we have the Thailand poster in which his <laughs> armaments grow greatly. Oh my God! <laughs> uh, utterly. It reminds me of Rance Howard and Ed Wood when he's saying how he wants to invest in movies. Like, first of all, I want a big explosion at the end of the movie, <laughs> and that's you know. So they're yeah, yeah. They're hyping up the action. Yeah, so exactly. it's actually it's very consistent with the Thai the Thai uh, movie posters. It's I've funny. Well, the then past. there's just nothing but this tremendous fireball as the background, yep. and every car from the film. Rate I like the car above the Cadillac, like jetting through the air. <laughs> yeah, like above then, the semi. And then the other characters just loosely floating in the air in the background yeah. above yeah. the yes. flames. The guy's okay. stealing the the stove, and then yeah. the guy running off with the with the tire again. I because you're gonna I steal the stove, you gotta steal. If you're gonna I, steal, I just, I just don't get this at all. That's it's, my it's favorite the scene in the strangest movie, stove stealing movie. And I I really look too. I, I, I thought there might there might be something for diner, but yeah, I didn't expect to find anything for armed and dangerous. I'm I have to admit. Wow, that's nobody it. at the nobody Ooh. at the Mondo Festivals is 
uh, doing their uh, spin on Armed yeah, and Dangerous. Yeah, nobody at MondoCon is putting out a Armed and Dangerous <laughs> Jacques poster. Jacques and Francesco Francavilla. And That's right. Not doing That's that. right. Surprisingly, I mean, no. I like this movie. John Candy's <laughs> on a motorcycle. i I love francesco he's a great guy so 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 now we move on to a uh this will be a a a rousing uh version of the martini where uh we discuss where the uh the main film fits into the director's film catalog and uh i will tell you this as far as rotten tomatoes goes this is barry levinson's highest critically ranked film with 90 with 93%. That's ridiculous, but okay. I I agree with you 100%. What would you rank higher? The Natural. Uh, well, <laughs> Rain Man? Sure. No, I, I don't I agree, with but both the, I, the Natural is one of my was one of my top 10 films. I, I I love both movies. I I can't disagree yeah, I with mean, what you're saying, guys. It's fair enough that it that it's up there. I just I'm yeah. surprised it's the highest. I agree. No, I understand. Now, I'll, now even, I'll even say Quiz Show. Wasn't Quiz Show uh, Levinson as well? No, he, he, play, he just played Dave Garraway. Oh, that's right. He was Dave Garraway. Of course he was. Yes, And yes. that is ranked higher. That's 96. <laughs> but he's only an actor in it. 94. Okay. <clears throat> huh? 94. It says 96. Oh, I'm, the year. I'm sorry. Year was oh, 94. Year was 94. Yes. Yes. Uh, wow. He, did, so, he directed Young Sherlock Holmes. He did Bugsy. Yes. Movie. Yeah. He's not. He hasn't yeah. done many. Wag the dog. Bad films. I love Wag the dog. That's another I'm one I saw. Trying to find the a bad film by him. He did. Uh, he did one of the what I feel is is one of his most underrated films, and I honestly didn't even know that he did this until I I looked at his list of films for this show, uh, which is The Bay. And if you haven't seen The Bay, I haven't seen The Bay. You should go watch it. It's it's a really impressive horror film. It, okay. for, and and to know that Barry Levinson did it, uh, amazing. Yeah, wow. He also he also did Sphere, so it ain't all roses. Okay, I so, well that and and Toys, Toys is garbage. Oh, that's right, he did really? Toys. Oh. I actually, you know, it's funny. I, I I saw Toys not super recently, but in the last fifteen years, and I I when I saw it, I I definitely did not dislike it as much as I remembered. Interesting. I, I did not find as many problems with it. I mean, disclosure is awesome. Uh, yeah, he did. He did a- two Crichton films. Yes, Avalon. Avalon's, Avalon's amazing. Absolutely, Avalon as good or better than Diner. Well, and um, Tin Man is really the Diner sequel in yeah. a lot of, and and you might even argue because obviously it focuses on. Uh, the the business that Michael Tucker is in that he's trying to convince Boogie to get into Mickey Rourke's character. <laughs> right. And I love that he's Bagel again in that movie. Yeah, he is. And also, there's a young guy that's in that group sitting at the diner that could be Boogie being played by a character with no dialogue. Right. Because he kind of looks similar to different actor, but he kind of dresses and looks a bit similar like Mickey Rourke's character. So it could very well be Boogie. I think it's, it's a little it's a little shocking and I understand Hassan they did you know your 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 disillumination with sphere but I think 11% on rotten tomatoes for sphere is a little low. That is low. That is. That's, I never that thought, is I never Wow, really? I, it's not a yeah. it's not a great that's a It's a Crichton. That's a great. Yeah, it's yeah. another Crichton film and it's yeah. another Crichton book. Yeah. Yeah. Um I'm uneven with Crichton uh novels. I don't always find them that great. Sure. Um, 
But the ideas but, uh, behind all of them are really great. Yeah, right. yeah. And just fear, just not. I just don't think it's a great movie. I just think it's you know it just kind of loses. Great. It gets lost. It loses yes. itself. Yeah. Um, oh my god! Cast. I forgot about Sleepers too. Sleepers is yeah. The cast yep. is crazy. Uh, that's awesome. I mean, well, young Sherlock Holmes is really a great movie. Young Sherlock what it Holmes is, is a terrific it is. movie. Very underrated. Very underrated. And even I even that was Chris even, Columbus. That's interesting. I didn't realize it was Levinson. Even just look Neither at the movies I. that he has. He wrote Tootsie. Yeah. I mean, and the Mel Brooks movie, and the and the early and the sit in silent movie and uh, well, High Anxiety. I was going to say he's in High Anxiety. Uh, yeah. They they make fun of the psycho shower scene. Uh, because he's like a bellboy that uh, right. is giving in the newspaper to Mel Brooks. He's like, here, here's your paper. And it's, you know, and yeah, he was a very weird, broad comedian prior <laughs> to being a filmmaker. And it was kind of weird seeing him in the old Mel Brooks movies that he's in. I mean, oh. he's, he's a big success. And uh, there's just too much good stuff here. And yeah, great filmmaker. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Great filmmaker. Uh, I'd still put Rain Man at the top for me. I think maybe Good Morning Vietnam. Wow, he wrote Inside Moves for Richard Donner. Oh, interesting. Wow. No, and I agree. And I love Good Morning Vietnam, especially being an old radio guy myself and everything. I really sure. I'm sure, yeah. yeah. Um, that's I, I put those two those two at the top. Rayman, Good Morning Vietnam. Avalon. Avalon's a secret third, I would say. Yeah, I haven't I haven't seen Avalon. Oh, it's oh, it's terrific. I, 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 the natural for me is always gonna be and, off his yeah, list. that's, that's going to be my top film for him. Natural, I'm sorry, that would be up there too, Steve. For me. And there's a through line from Diner to the Natural because my favorite line in the Natural is when Glenn Close says, "What happened to you, Roy?" And he's like, "My life didn't turn out the way it expe- I expected it to." And it's just like, yeah. I mean, seriously, yeah. like I, I think so many of us are like, I can relate to that. <laughs> I've never. Have you read Malamud's uh, novel? No, and I know about it, and I know the difference in I'm, the ending. Yeah, which yeah, no, I know. It's really I'm, interesting. I'm always just curious because I, you know, they for a long time they considered that to be an unfilmable novel or an unfilmable book, and I would love to know the reasons why. I'm about to track down a copy of that. And, and, and it is. It's so interesting. Each decade, when they almost are afraid to not have a happy ending, and oh and yeah, I, and I love. Uh, Tarantino pointed that out about Rocky was the pivotal movie of the seventies. And we were just surrounded by so many hard gritty movies that didn't give you happy endings. Right. Life doesn't give you necessarily happy endings. And it was Rocky and the success of Rocky that he says made the studios wake up and say, Oh yeah. Happy endings. We forgot about those. Maybe we don't start doing more movies like that. And it's funny. And I've mentioned it on the show before. I mean, the, the movie that, that pointed out, you know, that opened up my eyes to the ability to not have a happy ending in the, at the end of the film was to live and die in LA Yeah, where it's just at the end, there's just, there's just nothing good about the end of that film. Yep. You know, no, I agree. I love And again, another great Friedkin movie. Absolutely. Absolutely. The car chase. And one of the, I mean, people, people who know car chases understand how great that car chase is. Yeah. But a lot of times that car chase never gets mentioned in car chase conversations so and so I, I thought it'd be uh, just humorous to look at um the director of armed and dangerous's uh, oh no his over the i'm guessing it's not funny either no but he directed commando oh my oh, god a fun movie. back to jeff Loeb, co-written, yeah. co-written by jeff Loeb, commando he also directed class of 1984 well what's his name what's his name mark lester was class of 84 that movie that had the alice cooper uh theme song 
take a look at the future. Yes, yes. And then he also did Class of 1999, which is the same type of oh. thing, but just 15 years later. You know, Funny. these sort of weird punk kids in school. Yeah. Apocalyptic. Yeah. I uh, love future. Class of 19. I have I have the commemorative Blu-ray <laughs> of, of Class of 1999. That's outstanding. Hey. Now, here's a weird one. Here's a weird one that he directed that's actually severely underrated. He directed Showdown in Little Tokyo with Brandon wow. Lee. Wow. And cool. uh and and Firestarter. Hilarious. Is Firestarter I'm sorry? What's oh, that? I, Steve said it would be fun to look at this guy's movies, but it's I'm not, not it's having fun. It's not. Oh, Is Firestarter the uh Drew Stephen Barrymore King. movie? Yes. Yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah, Drew Barrymore. I wasn't sure right. if it was that or that Howie Long movie, that action movie that Howie Long made after Broken Arrow. <laughs> oh, right, where he's that it's right. It's got fire in the title, and yes, I can't remember yes, the name yes, of it. Yes, All yes. right. The, the Steven Seagal one is Fire Down Below, and yes. the Howie Long one is Fire Something Else. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I forgot Howie Long action star. Don't forget the Clint Eastwood one where he flies the jet. Firefox. Love that. Firefox. Firefox is awesome. Great movie. movie. What's that? Fire in the Sky. Of course. Are we just doing fire titles now? Exactly. Well, you started it. Oh, 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 all right. All right. Very funny. I'll finish it. (laughs) Are, Are you? I'm just I'm just reacting to Hassan's looks at this point. Everything I say is based on what he does. So if he puts the black hat up, I'll shut up. <laughs> now I'm now not going to do it. Yeah. <laughs> now there will be no hat. You, fire title. you get the white hat. The white yeah. hat. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Too much. Oh, oh, John, thank you, buddy. Oh, guys, seriously, oh, I... I I had a blast. Ap- I'll apologize for the tangents, but it was seriously. Oh, it was, no, no. That's, you see the you smile on my face. Back, it, if, sure. if, you, if, you, if at any point in the next months or so you have the opportunity to go back and listen to any of our other shows, you'll, you'll, you'll hear plenty of tangents, believe me. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Man. We usually just don't have someone who's just as good as us on here doing them. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, seriously, it's a, I'm always happy to talk to movie buffs. I love it. And also – coming off of the grind that was Baltimore Comic-Con. I'm not complaining. I had a blast, but I had to do so much homework for that. Right. That it's just nice to be able to extemporaneously talk about stuff we love. Right. And just have a great right. time doing it. That's, so this is that's, exactly that's what the, I needed. That's one of the goals of, of this show is we just we like to have people on to talk about something that they don't necessarily get a chance to to talk about all the time. You know, we that's try awesome. to have you know, we have we have like comic book artists on and, and let them talk about their favorite movies as opposed to talking about comic books. I'm with you, man. You know, I'm totally with oh. you. Absolutely. Latham Hassan, it's a pleasure meeting you guys. Thank yeah, you just give, give new track a break. So other, <laughs> Hassan, other than, I'm telling you, man, you got to come on. And, or, and Steve, regardless, just give me the uh, the, 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 the Trek part of this, the conversation that I'm sure we trimmed for the episode. I'll be more than happy. But, but to I would be happy that. to put that up, man, because yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, Hassan, like I told you, every week, I'm like, all right, maybe I'll like it a little bit more. Maybe I'll like it a little bit more. <laughs> Uh, anything you want to plug, John? Other than the well, word balloon, yeah, word balloon. I mean, you know, it rolls on. I mean, my God, I've uh, I promised myself I wouldn't do any episodes this week, and I've done two, and I've got two more that I'm doing, three more that I'm doing. Two tomorrow in the wow. afternoon. I'm talking to Paul Cornell. In the evening, I'm talking to who am I talking? Well, we're doing the Outer Limits uh, rewatch episode, ah, right? And then Friday, I'm talking to 
my buddy uh, Steve uh, Darnell, who hosts an old-time radio show on the weekends here in Chicago. And um, I want to talk about, especially for Halloween, the great old-time radio dramas that I think sure. still are terrorizing in a, in a great way. I mean, they're definitely old-fashioned, but shows like Lights Out and Suspense and Inner Sanctum, they've got some slasher stories that still are I pretty effective you- for being old. If you get a chance, John, there's a great podcast, a great uh, eight-part podcast on Apple Podcasts called Video Palace. It's an eight-part serialized. Uh, it's about each episode is about 20 minutes long. So the whole thing in total in store isn't much longer than a regular film. Sure. And, and what's it's, it about? Uh, it's, it's about this guy who, who start, who he's, he's, he's an old videotape collector. And he, he, he comes across this idea of these, these weird white videotapes that are supposed to be an urban legend, uh, only he discovers they aren't. And it's, it's a really, really neat story, and it's got some really, truly creepy moments in it oh, wow. for like a, 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 an audio-only presentation. Um, That's amazing. No, man. Actor, hey, actors and writing are great. One of the guys who created it is one of the guys who's behind uh, Blair Witch Project. Oh, that make well. That certainly makes a lot of sense. No, the the so, horror, the terror that sound can provide in your mind, yes, and the in your imagination is obviously far superior to what someone can put on screen, a and, lot, and it can get really disturbing. Absolutely. So, uh, I would like to thank our guest, John Suntries, uh, and uh, show intro music courtesy of FesslianStudios.com. Please check out our website at CinementalPod.com for all of the poster images we discuss on our Down the Tube segment. And don't forget to download and subscribe to Cinemental wherever you enjoy your podcasts. You can always listen to new episodes at CinementalPod.com. Also, you can follow us on all major social media accounts at CinementalPod. For John Suntries, Hassan Godwin, Latham Conger III, and myself, we say thank you so much for listening. And as always, in the words of our friend and petroleum distribution engineer, Truman Burbank. Good afternoon, good evening, and good night.